0: Coming at you from historic New Brunswick, New Jersey, this is the Math Ward History Experience. My name is Nigel Corning Browning and I am your guest announcer. This month's episode of the Math Ward History Experience features The Weigh In, a segment that was recorded on location at the Veteran Boxers Association in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. The Math Ward History Experience is brought to you by One Stone Recording and Mastering in New Brunswick, New Jersey. Check out One Stone Recording and Mastering for all your mixing and mastering needs. One Stone Recording and Mastering, it's online at OneStoneRecording.com. And now your host, Matthew
1: Howard Ward! Nigel, thank you very much for that wonderful introduction. We're going to start off the 10th episode of the Matt Ward History Experience with the weigh-in segment from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. This month's interview is with boxing historian and editor-in-chief of phillyboxinghistory.com, John DeSanto. During this interview, we were able to discuss boxing history and John's website, phillyboxinghistory.com. Without further delay, here it is, The way In.
2: Please introduce yourself to my listeners. Okay, my name is John DeSanto, and I am the editor of phillyboxinghistory.com. Um, Philly Boxing History Inc is a nonprofit organization and I run that and you know the goal is to um, study and and celebrate and document the um, great history of Philadelphia boxing and bring it to the people and keep these names alive and and uh, keep people interested in them uh, I am also the um, chairman of the Pennsylvania Boxing Hall of Fame and I've been a boxing fan since I was a kid, and, you know, usually what happens with me is my interests sort of over, overwhelm me and consume me, and I <laughs> move in some kind of direction, you know, it's like a hobby gone insane, and that's, you know, there's other topics too, but this is this is one of them, and it's really become a, um, you know, real mission in my life to kind of do this stuff and, you know, put my time into this. So... What was the first professional boxing match that you remember watching in person or on television? Well, in person was in the, the uh, mid seventies. I started going to the Spectrum. Um, my first professional fight was a, a, a Russell Peltz promoted Spectrum fight. Went with my brother and his older and his friends. You know, older guy. You know, they're about eight years older than me. These guys they took me to the fight because so I was a boxing fan. Um, and I went to see a guy named Jerome Artis, who was a great Philadelphia fighter, great amateur. Who was the, I think he was the, either the first guy or the last guy to beat Sugar Ray Leonard. He beat him in the nationals and uh, in the in the national semifinals. And um, but he was he never really went too far as a as a pro. He was a a really talented fighter, but he wasn't very dedicated. He didn't like to train. And once his career started to go down, he he just he would take any fight. But he was a good fighter and a character and um, some other local guys like Augie Pantelis and Youngblood Williams um, and Alfonso Heyman all like journeyman fighters and you know I'd watched TV on boxing a long time but when I went there you know it really I think I was already in love with the sport but it was something that it really sort of cemented it and it was like going there and you know being in you know live you know at ringside it was really exciting prior to that like you know watching on TV um, it was, I came up, I was born in 1962, so in the 70s, I'm a, becoming a boxing fan. Muhammad Ali's champ, Roberta Duran, all these guys, and they fought on TV. So, you know, those were the guys that, that kind of started me, and I certainly watched everything that was on TV, but I, the first time I got involved with boxing was at my, like, probably junior high library. They had these sports encyclopedias, and I was a baseball fan. I started flipping through, and I kept coming across these photographs of boxers, and one thing about boxing is it's got to be the most photogenic sport in the world. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you think about these classic photographers, you know, on the ring apron taking these pictures and just these great photos. And it was super compelling, and it just sucked me in. And things like the famous, we were just talking about Rocky Marcello earlier, the famous punch with his jersey, Joe Walcott, with his jaw sort of dislocated. Yeah, yeah. And you just all these really... Um, amazing black and white photographs and it really intrigued me and I started to read about boxing and then I went and, um, I got a book called the pictorial history of boxing um, and it sort of started from there so I started by looking at images and reading about it it wasn't long before I started watching on TV but yeah so it was early on and there are a number of fighters that I, that I really like but it was a great era to kind of um, you know come up in you know yeah yeah absolutely great fighters Growing up, who was your favorite fighter or fighters? I always loved Ali. Um, Love him, you know, like, and, and from, even from an early age, realized he wasn't just a great fighter. He was a huge figure, you know, celebrity, you know, and a very simple, but, you know, everything that he did, he was just bigger than anything. But I always loved Roberto Duran. First time I saw him, thought, I've never seen a pure fighter in my life. Um and you know these were the guys that, that really uh, early on I got started but you know it was interesting you know like uh, in the 70s there were guys like um, Alexis Arguello mm-hmm. who you know everybody fought on television and, you know so you got to see them and, um, and then like in the the mid 70s a couple of things happened 76 Olympics Sugar Ray Leonard Spinks Brothers all those guys Yeah, and the Rocky movie and um, I was already a boxing fan but you know I think about how many people became boxing fans because of the Rocky movie? You know, the Rocky statue in Philadelphia gets a lot of, you know, um, bad, bad, uh, you know, <laughs> sort of a bad rap. Because, yeah. Uh, how can they, but, but and and Sylvester Stallone was put into the um, International Boxing Hall of Fame mm-hmm. as a writer. A lot of people oppose that. I don't. I say. He probably created as many boxing fans as Muhammad Ali did. Yeah. You know, know, what he did with that movie was a great thing. So there were a lot of factors that, you know, um, my interest had started. But, yeah, those things came in. But definitely Ali and Roberto Duran. Cool. Uh, Speaking of Duran, did you have a chance to see the movie Hands of Stone? I did. What did you think of it? I enjoyed it. I thought it seemed like a... a, I didn't think it was a great movie. But I thought the performances were good. Um, I... It was fun to see these storylines, and like the great Duran Leonard rivalry. There were a lot of things in it that I think were um, fabricated for the film, mm-hmm. and I understand that. You need these things to make the plot move, and to you know, do those. but there were things I'm watching saying, "There's no way that ever happened." in Duran's like, <laughs> yeah. "They like, took a lot of liberties," but it was entertaining, and you know, it's not, it's not one of the great boxing movies, but it was a, it's totally worth watching, and you know, you know, if you're a boxing fan, it's, it's fun, and and it's it's fun that now, like, you know, Duran and Leonard fought for the first time in 1980. It's cool that now that's old enough that it's starting to find its way into a movie. You yeah, know? yeah. That used to be like that was the big fight of the day. Now it's, you know, it's it's you know, thirty-five years ago or it's something history, like right? that. Yeah, it's more than thirty five years old. Yeah. So that's kinda of fun. Yeah.
1: Do you have an all time favorite professional bout?
2: Um I I think that like what what fights it when you first said it, two things come to mind. As far as a favorite I love Matthew Saad Muhammad, and so many of his fights were like mind boggling battles. Right. Um, I saw him live at the Spectrum a few times. Um, when he fought Richie Cates in 1978, it was one of, it, I still say it might be the best fight I ever saw live. You know, it's hard to say that, but you know, thousands of fights. But it was extremely memorable, and Saad Muhammad, Matthew Franklin at the time, was on his way up. And he, um, Richie Cates, had been around and, you know, had you know, he was a solid fighter, it was a big test for, for Franklin. And it was amazing because they knocked each other down. Um, you know, Matthew went down in one round, saved by the bell, more or less. Got up, next round, he knocked Cates down, saved by the bell, but Cates didn't recover from it. But it was just an amazing fight. And it was one of those things where... Um, I got to go to it. And I, was a, I was a kid. I was a teenager. So that, and then I also think that 1981, Leonard against Hearns, their first fight, September 16th, 1981. I often say that's arguably the greatest fight ever, because which what I love about it. Certainly, there's more exciting fights and even better fights, but this very special fight because Leonard went in this, you know, tremendous boxer, mm-hmm. with, you know, with a lot of. Um, uh, he could punch, and he was a—he's a, a real—you know—he could be very aggressive. But Hearns was this murderous puncher. I remember going into the fight thinking, "Well, I think Leonard will win this fight, but how's he going to make it through the first few rounds? Like, it's a really scary fight." So anyway, they started in their their respective roles, and but before long, Hearns started boxing, and he, he had displayed what a great boxer he was, and he was outboxing Leonard. Mm-hmm. He changed his his um, his stripes in a sense. And then because of that, Leonard was losing and his eye was swelling. He had to pick it up. And so suddenly Leonard, the great boxer, became a puncher and went out there and not turns out. And it was just so amazing because it was two undefeated guys. It was overly hyped fight, but it was one of those super hyped fights that totally lived up to the expectations. It exceeded the ex- expectations. And how often does that happen? You think about Pacquiao yeah. Mayweather. You know, there was, you know, everyone was disappointed with what came out of that fight, and you know, why bother? Mm-hmm. But you know, um, Leonard Hearns was amazing because they changed, they changed um, styles. Yeah, you know, they both had both things, but who knew to that extent? And it was a, such a memorable fight, such an important fight. And so, yeah, those are those are two that come to mind. But you know, right, there's right, a lot of them, two of many. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> when did you start phillyboxinghistory.com it started in 2004. Mm-hmm. And the way it started was, I wanted to do a project. Um, I had a regular job, you know, corporate job, and had, you know, done that my whole life, always been a fan. But I've always been, you know, a writer, always been interested in films and filmmaking and other things like that. And I really, you know, when I turned 40, I think I got. Really sentimental about the Spectrum fights, Philadelphia boxing. Always loved it. Always held it to the you know the highest regard. Right. But I was I'm a boxing fan, so I lived through the '80s with all those great fights with Leonard and Hagler and Duran and Benitez and every Hearns, everybody fighting each other. Mm-hmm. I loved all boxing. Watched every fight on TV. But when I hit a certain age, I guess it was, it's the, you know, the, the, the sentimentality. Or yeah, something. Suddenly yeah. I was, found myself thinking more and more about those nights at the spectrum and realizing now how great they were. Sure. You know, um, and so I wanted to do some kind of project. My first instinct, my, my reflex was to say, I'll make a documentary film about it because mm-hmm. that's, Something that I've, I've done in the past, I've been interested in that. But again, a documentary is a... filmmaking's is a heartbreak, you know? I know it well. You put a lot of time into it, costs a lot of money, you know? I'm, I'm good at collecting the footage, shooting footage and compiling things. I think I'm a natural collector. Mm-hmm. But making cuts and turning 150 hours into 90 minutes that I'm not there yet. And so I've I've done movies where like I've I've been caught in the quicksand a number of times and I said, no nah, I'm not gonna fall in that trap. And I thought maybe I'll write like a history book about the spectrum era. You know, to me personally such a great era to me the greatest era. But then I at the time I was a marketing director for a company, a tech company, and you know, websites were getting, you know, bigger and bigger and more and more, you know, utilized. And I was working on websites not as a designer but as sort of a a marketing person so content and I would work with with developers and so I thought you know this is what I want to do let me try making a website because it fits my nature my nature is just to pile it on just keep going dig 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 create this stuff collect this information collect these photos and put it on there and there's no end to it there's no stop now cut it together and show the movie there's none of that it's just it's it's a black hole, which I think fits my personality and my you know what I do. So um, that's what I did. I took a couple online courses, learned how to make some pages, and just started to put it together. When I first did it, it was a secret. No one knew. It wasn't marketed. I put this thing together. I think I had thirteen fighters on there. My favorite thirteen Philly fighters. Right, right. And, you know, started to build different sections and, you know, plotted it out even though there were sections, there's still sections that are untouched in a sense. But then it, it went from there. So that was like probably two thousand three, two thousand four, probably two thousand four. And then then I started to let people know about it. So the first, you know, other than like my wife and, and you know maybe a few friends first person I kind of went to was Russell Peltz who I'm I'm friends with and known for a long time and I went there almost like you know for the blessing from the Godfather hey look (laughs) at what I'm working on what do you think of this and he sat down on his computer and said oh this is really cool and so he was very encouraging about it and so that was then um, Bernard Fernandez who used to write for the um, Philadelphia Daily News um, he found it and did a story about it and you know people started to know more and more about it you know I started to you know try to push it out there so that's where it started 2004 and so 12 years in now with it roughly awesome
1: yeah there are individuals in the boxing community who believe boxing in Philadelphia is in a state of decline what are your thoughts on the state of boxing in Philadelphia
2: well there's some truth to that What's, what's in decline is the, the sort of the, the, um, the mass market, the interest. You know, boxing is a cult at this point. And to be honest, it's really a cult on the national or international scene. Mm-hmm. You know, pay-per-view exists because hardcore fans like me will buy every fight. I'm going to buy Manny Pacquiao fight next week. Everybody I talk to says, well, what are you going to yeah. buy that for? It's, it's a... Oh, what am I, Miss Manny Pacquiao, one of his last fights? He's one of the greatest fighters in the last 10 years. (laughs) So so it exists because, you know, there's a loyal fan base. Mm -hmm. Um, So if, I I used to joke and say, if Pacquiao and Mayweather fought in Philadelphia, they could hold it at the 2300 Arena because that's all who would come to see it in Philadelphia. You know, there's a real lack of um, big market. You know, there's no interest in, in, in boxing. Uh, only the, the, the loyal, hardcore fan base. And that's because newspapers have no interest in it. The only time that there's an article in the, in the paper is Bernard Hopkins, who's a giant. Mm-hmm. Danny Garcia, who's you know, the current world champion in our area. Steve Cunningham, who is a classic Philly fighter, Yeah, fought in obscurity through two title reigns as cruiserweight champ of course cruiserweight it's you know the the, the, the stepchild that you know no one likes you <laughs> yeah, know so yeah. like, but so he, he had such exciting fights and he was such a such a marketable guy military guy family man spiritual guy great down to earth guy and and Exciting fights, especially when he turned heavyweight and he was, you know, fighting these giants. Yeah. I don't know if, he, you know, it, it, probably the only articles he ever got in the paper were stories revolving around a tremendous story, and that is his daughter's heart transplant and right, the right. drama of that, human interest. So, you know, the papers don't cover it, you know, the the news doesn't cover it. They're all interested if something bad happens, you know, mm-hmm. somebody steals some money or somebody gets injured in the ring. Everybody wants to go because they want to pile on and say, isn't boxing terrible? But... It doesn't do anything to, to build new fans. So that's what's lacking in boxing. What's not lacking is the fact that there are hundreds, maybe hundreds is, is a big number, but there's a there's hundred really good local fighters fighting their hearts out. I agree. Fighting every whenever they can get a fight. Now in the old days they would fight every couple months now if they fight four times a year that's a lot. Mm-hmm. But there's so many good fighters, so many good stories, guys that are so worthy of following tremendous characters in Philadelphia Hank Lundy, Eric Hunter. you know these people are talented fighters. they may or may not ever get to a world title, but they are fascinating characters, fun, interesting. Some you love, some you hate, yep. some you love to hate, that kind of thing. It's, it's just, so boxing is thriving, but it's thriving in, like, such a small little world. You know, there's, you look around at the fights, you go to, if you go to Russell Peltz's fights, you see a club of the, basically the same people with maybe a few new ones yeah. tucked in, <laughs> checking it out. Tomorrow night there's a, um, or, or coming up, um, tomorrow night there's a second show at the Sugar House Casino. Yeah. Again, it's another, there'll be some, some crossover, there'll be people who are at all the fights, but that's another crowd because it's different fighters and different promoters Yeah. Uh, so they have, So it's all there. What, what it lacks is the number of fights. When I started doing my website, there were about 24 to 30 fights a year in Philadelphia. It's a it's late October, mm-hmm. and we just had our 10th fight in Philadelphia. Right. And that's not a bad year. There was a year a few years ago, there were four shows in Philadelphia. I remember that. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah. So, so that's what's lacking. Um, the promoters come, they do what they can do. But like, you know, if Atlantic City, which is kind of dead now, if Atlantic City's, you know, got the better deals, the fights go there. Chester, just outside of Philly, some call it Philly. Technically, it's not. So, it's not. but that's you know they had a great series of fights for a while. Now it's occasional. Um, but that's what's missing. It's like you know some people tell you oh, there's no venues. The Blue Horizon closed in 2010. There's nowhere to hold fights. Well, the Blue Horizon was key because it was the backbone. Mm-hmm. Blue Horizon Promotions did maybe five shows a year, six shows a year. So every other month, um, then other people would rent it. You know. Um, power Promotions might have um, four fights, and somebody else might have a couple fights. So you put that in, and it was a, it was a centerpiece to the schedule. And then there were these other places, the 2300 Arena, which has been the New Alhambra, different names, Asylum Arena. Yep. they would have things. But there was a backbone. Now there's not. Right now, the closest thing is the 2300 Arena, which has been very active this year, and I love it. It's been great. And the Sugar House is now kind of you know, heating up. But they used to have fights at the Army. I haven't been able a fight in the Army in years. So mm-hmm. that's the thing. It's, it's if some people will say, oh, there's no fights. There's no fighters. They can't fill these cards. I don't buy it. Um, I, am a, I am a believer that Philly guys should fight each other. If you talk to Philadelphia fighters, they don't like to do that. They say, well, hey, why should I, why should I stop this guy I know, like, you know, stop his momentum to, forward, to advance mine? maybe if it's for the world title in the future then it makes sense we all get paid i don't believe that i think for a lot of fighters a lot most of these fighters will not go on to win world titles so i think i can give you a bunch of examples where the most memorable night of a fighter's career has come in some little club the blue horizon or the or the 2300 arena against another philadelphia fighter because the house is packed the, the the opinions are flying. and yeah. you know the the you know the rivalry is there. Even though these guys might not have rivalries, they're fans. They bring them in, and you know all these people are rooting for the North Philly guy, and these guys are rooting for the South <laughs> Philly guy. Philadelphia boxing history is based on those kinds of things: cross town rivalries, North Philly, South Philly, West Philly. You know all this stuff, and that's not there's not a real flavor of that now. You know um, some people like to encourage that and try to make it happen. Some of the promoters, most of them. You know, say, okay, we just step back. And what, what you get is a lot of fights that are someone that's interesting, a local guy you like, and they bring in somebody who is almost guaranteed to lose. Mm-hmm. And so that's okay. You watch the guy develop, but it's not that exciting. Usually you can look at the list and say, oh, he's going to win. You can go right down the list. You know what's going to happen. There's always surprises in boxing, but that's the thing. It's, it's a great sport, full of great characters. It's It's thriving. But like in sort of a vacuum, you know, yeah. it's like it's such a it's such a small, um, such a small thing, you know. Um, and for someone like me who loves it so much, I don't get it. Like you know, I go to I'm having a, there's a fight. You know, in a couple of weeks, and I can't stop thinking about it. You know, I can't mm-hmm. believe that the rest of the world doesn't feel that way. Yeah. Like, everybody else is obsessed with the Flyers and the Eagles, and, and you know, hey, I watch it, but yeah, you, know, you know, I could take it or leave it. You know, it's just me. You know, I'm with you, John. I completely agree. Yeah. So, so, I think I think you can really make a great argument that that it's in decline, but it's it's in decline. You know, from a certain perspective, and what I look at certainly with my website and with my Um, Interest is there's no such thing as decline because I can give you a few fighters that are a handful of fighters now that I can match them to fighters in other eras and I say hey a guy like Gabriel Rosado would have been Gabriel Rosado in the 60s in the 70s in the 50s he you know he's one of those guys Tion Kennedy yeah one of the most exciting interesting Philly fighters ever. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you can see it. And so, so there's, those stories are out there. From some, for someone like me, decline doesn't even make sense because these guys are there, the stories are there. They're unbelievable, and it's, it's great to follow them. And so the rest of the world might say, who? But, you know, this is the boxing hub. Um, there's times when it was flourishing, you know, much more than it is now. But the basic thing, the drama of boxing, and what it takes for those guys to get in the ring, and you know, go at it, it's still there, and that's something that I think will never change. And so, to me, boxing just exists. It'll be, it was gigantic when Tyson was around. It was gigantic when Sugar Ray Leonard was around. De La Hoya also, to a certain extent, um, and it'll get there again. It's just, it's just, it's, it's. There's cycles, um, you know. I'd love to see Philadelphia, you know, there's a boom. I mean, you think about these guys who um, had title shots recently, Julian Williams, in about a month, is going to fight for the world title, has a very good chance of winning that fight. Um, This year, Hank Lundy had a a fight for the world title, had to fight Terrence Crawford, one of the best fighters in the world, but, you know, there you go. You got a shot, yeah. um, Yeah, I mean, that's it. There's a lot of guys out there um, who are um, active and doing well, Uh, but again, it's a limited number, but you know those guys are the, the, the ones that the other the rest of the world sees. But there's so many people, you know, on the circuit that are they're they're great. They're really good, great to watch.
1: Please tell my listeners more about the Gravestone Fund
2: program on your website. Mm-hmm. Okay, um, I do this program to put gravestones, headstones on um, previously unmarked graves of. Um, Philadelphia area fighters and it's something that I've done five so far and um, basically every other year you know it's when I have the when I collect the funds or when you know when it hits but um, it was it's a program that um, I started almost by accident many years ago Uh, probably towards the beginning of like maybe 2005 towards the beginning of my website I was in the library doing my research you know looking at the old newspapers on microfilm and I was reading about Tyrone Everett's funeral Tyrone Everett was a great junior lightweight of the 70s he fought for the world title it's hard to believe it 40 years ago November 30th 76 it'll be 40 years this year Um, I didn't go to the fight um, I was very aware of it, and I went to my, I was in, I guess, junior high. I went to, like, eighth grade, that is, or something, 76, or something like that. I went to school, and in my homeroom was a guy who had gone to the fight, and I was super jealous of what happened, you know? <laughs> yeah. And I read the newspapers, and was like, he actually went. I was like, but I didn't go. But Tyrone Everett was, you know, um, arguably one of the great fighters, you know, certainly the 70s of all time in Philadelphia, for sure. Um, and he, he he lost a decision to Alfredo Escalera, a, a great fighter from Puerto Rico who was WBC champion. And he was, um, but it's the fight is often called one of the worst robberies in boxing history. They went 15 rounds. Some people say Tyrone won the fight 13 rounds to two. Others say it was much closer than that. But the, the point was is that at the end of the fight, there was little doubt that Tyrone was about to win the, be named the new champion, and they went to the scorecards, and he lost. He lost a split decision, and it was you know everyone's you know, people were still. You talk to someone who went to see the fight, and they're still shaking their head about it. You know yeah. it's one of those. So Tyrone Everett was, um, I guess, about 23 years old during that. Six months later, he had one fight after that, but six months later. He was shot and killed at age 24. Um, <coughs> he was a very popular guy in South Philly. He had brothers that were also fighters. His one brother, Mike Everett, um, who's still living, was a very good amateur fighter, won, won a bunch of gold Glove titles. Um, oh, yeah. Had yeah. a nice pro career, even fought for the title himself um, a year or so after Tyrone had. Um, but this guy died, and everyone was devastated because you know, it was like a shock. This young guy in his prime and a great fighter. They were supposedly negotiating a rematch with this guy that that he had lost the fight, the championship fight with. Um, so I was I was in the library and I'm reading about his funeral and about the turnout and the line that wrapped around the corner and everybody came to see this 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 guy to pay their respects. And the the um, he was shot and killed and he was shot like. Um, in the head and his casket was closed and they had a big picture of him above the casket and I remember reading that his brother Mike he was the greatest guy and all heart he wears his heart on his sleeve a very emotional guy um, he the thing about Tyrone is they said that when he got shot that the bullet must have entered his nostril and like you know because his face he was a super handsome guy and, a, and everything and his face was like perfect it was untouched and so Mike wanted to show everyone how good he looked so Mike opened the casket and everyone it was just super intense emotional um, funeral and it just really you know got to me and so I guess the good Catholic in me thought "Oh, let me go out and find his grave and pay my respects you know yeah yeah. so I did that and I went out to um, the the cemetery down in um, like near the airport, Collingdale, um, Pennsylvania, something like that. Went down there, and I, I went to the office, found out the coordinates, where he was, row, row, and plot. And I walked back and forth and back and forth. I couldn't find it. I was right. like, oh, my God, it's driving me crazy. So finally I saw a groundskeeper, and I called him over, and I said, hey, can you help me find this? And we're walking, and I, as we're walking, I said... Um, he was an older guy, you know, um, about, you know, he was a little older than me. And I said, This is the grave of Tyrone Everett. Remember him, the fighter? And he goes, Oh, yeah. He goes, I don't know if he has a stone. I don't remember seeing that. So we looked, and we looked. He said, Here it is. And all it was was grass. Oh, wow. So I thought, wow, here was this guy who was doing quite well as a, as a fighter. You know, he was making some money, although they weren't making millions of dollars, that's for sure. He was a very um, famous, locally famous guy. And um popular and and there he was with a with just grass, no gravestone now, i don 't think that everybody has to have a gravestone or that means something, oh, you have one, this one doesn't i don't mean it like that, but all I could in an instant, I sat there and thought, this is something I could do something um, about this because he's a hero of mine, yeah, and so it was kind of an opportunity. I went to the office, talked about it said. What if I wanted to get a gravestone for this one? Well, here's how it is: you got to contact the family. We need a letter from them. Blah blah blah. So it started. What it did was it kicked off this idea. I went out and I purchased the stone myself, and um, but went through the process. I had to find the family. Another fighter, Tyrone Crawley, who's a good fighter in the in the fought for the title in the 80s. A great young, uh, great fighter he's a policeman, and he, I called him up and said, man, look at him. he goes, I think his mother goes to my church. Ah. So next thing you know, he calls me back, I got her, here's her number, I talk to her, I call her up, and now I'm I'm talking to Tyrone Everett's mother. Go over to meet her, the brothers come in, Mike Everett, who, you know, I knew, I knew him as a fighter. Yeah. We're talking. And so all of a sudden they're, they're involved, and they like the idea. The mother was super touched that someone cared and remembered, and right there that the gravestone program was was born because my thought was yeah i'll do this one but i wonder how many other fighters are in this situation and the truth is it was, it was a rhetorical question i knew the answer yeah yeah <laughs> and so i looked into it and there are tons of them and these are the top guys so what i thought was i'll do this i got the stone you know take a for it but takes forever to get it done you know anyway they bring it down um, the family didn't want any kind of public thing um, so it was just us me and a couple of the brothers and, and Tyrone's mom who his mom is now passed away um, but she's such a great woman and so we had this little personal service and then from there I got a little press from it little newspaper a little TV news and people started being interested in it. And what I realized was all the stuff I do in boxing, you know, history, like, you know, doing research, and stuff, people like the website, people write in, say, oh, my grandfather's a fighter, I saw his picture on your site, they're, they're blown away. Wow, very But cool. something that really connects with people seems to be this gravestone program. Mm-hmm. Because they say, most cases they say, wow, he doesn't have a gravestone? And it's like, it's a natural thing, it's a fix. It's But I look at it as a tremendous opportunity to do something nice, something positive for for these people that you know i care about i i worship in a sense and in most cases i never met never knew so i've done five tyron everett was first next was gypsy joe harris super popular guy yeah yeah but when he died he had nothing and you know had a pauper's grave as they call it and um so he he was next then it was a guy named um Garnett Sugar Heart. He was top welterweight contender in the fifties. Super talented guy. Um, Again, he was. He had been cremated. His brother had his ashes at his house, and you know, said he he would want to be buried with my mother. So did that. Got the stone. And each time I was able to, you know, publicize it, and in some cases raise all the money for the stone. In other cases, um, raise a portion of it, and then I would pay the rest of it. But the key was just to keep going. And then all I heard was, boy, all those first three guys were um, African American. So I heard a lot of talk about like, boy, these black fighters, they don't have, have gravestands. I'm like, you have no <laughs> idea, it has nothing to do with that. It's and so I made sure my next one was Irish Catholic Lily White, Eddie Cool, a guy who was from yeah. up around yeah. here, you know, he was um, a great fighter of the 30s, but he was a terrible alcoholic and mm-hmm. died very young. But again, super talented. But you know, he didn't even didn't seem to need to train very much. He was a natural, and they said you know, he'd be drunk, and they'd kind of brush him off and get him in the ring. Oh yeah, yeah. Day, that. And he would be brilliant. Yeah. But so there's a guy who died um, very young, and he was in an unmarked grave. So he was next, and then um, then a, the. A great opportunity came, and that was unfortunately one of my heroes, Matthew Saad Muhammad, passed mm-hmm. away. He um, and a year later, uh, we put a stone down for him, and I, so it was great. Um, Very cool. and Did that, and that was that was the most expensive one. I did like a fundraising, like a like a crowdsourcing crowd uh, crowdfunding uh, campaign. I was a little intimidated by the price tag on it because of a beautiful stone with its picture on it, you know. Uh, what the family wanted, but boom, we raised the money, and it was you know done and it was it was um, something that you know it touched people you know he he 's more um, current mm-hmm. you know, some of these guys you know, Eddie been dead seventy years or something like that, yeah so yeah people have people don 't remember him, but it was one of those things where um, you know people took notice, and it 's something that, that they connect with it 's really important to me to honor the fighters it 's the same it 's the same um, idea of my as my website and that is to remember honor document keep the names out there share it with the public it's great stories here and put them out there so when i do a gypsy joe's um article i'm not interested in a big article about me that says oh he's raising money for great i don't care about that what i care about is gypsy joe's pictures in the newspaper in the, in the major papers in philadelphia people know about it um, a guy named mark cram jr wrote a story for um, Philadelphia Daily News about this getting Gypsy Joe Gravestone. Greystone. It won the um, Boxing Writers Association feature story that year. I saw that. Yeah, that's um, a great article. And it was a great article. And yeah. again, what I loved was that it was about Gypsy Joe. It was about, can you remember this guy? How great, how much people love him. So that was that's what it is. I love it. I think it's a great program. I love doing it. And what really blew me away was what I didn't see coming was I thought it was a positive thing. I thought, you know, and most people think it's positive. Some people question my motives and think, oh, you know, what are you up to with that? But the truth is, is that it's, you know, a very positive thing. But what I didn't see coming was in most of these cases, um, the families of these fighters, most of whom I don't, I never met, uh, the fighter, I become like extended family with them. Right. I'm very close with the Everett brothers. Um, I was super close with Doris, you know, Mrs. Everett, before she passed away, um, and it's happened in not every case, but in most cases, Gypsy Joe Harris's sisters, and he has a brother in Atlanta, super close with them, and, and it's great for someone like me because it, it, um, it brings me closer to these people. Uh, you know, I read about them. They're ghosts, you know, they're stories, they're photographs. There's a, a, there's a clip of film yeah. and that's it. You know, half of them I never saw, you know, fight. Most of them I never fight, saw fight. But now I'm sitting there talking to Tyron Everett's brother, Eddie. Looks just like him. Yeah. You know, he's, like, he's, like, he's like two or three years younger. But it's like, so and it's that thing. I feel like it's a way to connect with these guys, um, you know, their children, their their family. And it's, it's been super rewarding from that sense. So, so I do think it's a good program. Um, it's a good thing. But I also get a lot from it. It's, it's, it's selfish in a way. You know, it's something that, you know, it, it brings me closer to this thing that, that I'm interested in, that, I'm, that I love, you know, these people. So It's a great program. Thank you. Thank you. Good thing. Please tell my
1: listeners a little bit about another program that you run, the Briscoe Awards. Mm, okay.
2: I started the Briscoe. Award, I started the um, website in 04. I always had the thought that um, the website would be sort of the hub, and I had some ideas for some other projects. So one of them was the Briscoe Awards. I liked the idea of um, creating an award to, again, document and acknowledge um, accomplishments in boxing. When I first started, I wasn't sure if it was something to honor old fighters or new fighters. I wasn't sure. I just knew that Benny Briscoe is an absolute icon of Philadelphia boxing. You can make your argument of who, who represents, who's the prototypical Philadelphia fighter, and you can have a list as long as can be. There's going to be a million opinions. Benny Briscoe is my choice. Mm-hmm. And my award, so, yep. yeah, so we'll, go, we'll go with that. <laughs> and um, the thing is, is that he was the blue collar fighter who fought everybody under the sun, who was super talented. That if he was around today, you'd have you wouldn't be able to see his face. He'd have so many belts, you know, up and down his waist. And um, but he came up at a time when you had to go through one champion. Later on, maybe two. Mm-hmm. Um, now there's a lot of champions. I think that's great for fighters to get opportunity. But, you know, Manny Pacquiao and Floyd Mayweather don't fight until it's five years <laughs> late. You know, <laughs> fighters can go, and they can go off. The, the two best or the three best or the four best fighters might never fight each other because right. they're all defending their own titles. Back in Briscoe's day, you had to go through the, the number one guy, and that guy was um, Carlos Monzon. Yeah. Who's going to beat him? You know, like in yeah, his prime. Great fighter. Benny, Benny uh, before Monzone was champ, who was getting close, he fought a 10-round draw in Argentina, in Buenos Aires with, with Monzone. A lot of people say, well, that means he probably won that fight if he drew with him at home. He eventually fought him for the world title and uh, lost. He had other shots at the title, never won it. But to me, Benny Briscoe is, is the classic Philly fighter because he was great. Maybe he wasn't—he wasn't great enough to win in his day to win the title, but I think that um, it doesn't—it's not a prerequisite to, to be a champion to be considered great. Um, he's a guy whose legacy will always live for hardcore fans. Yeah. Um, but as people like me get older and we die out, Benny's gone now. You know, his legacy is in a sense in danger of sort of fading not to take away from his accomplishments but the younger generation they don't appreciate them they you know it's, it's that kind of thing they need to be reminded um so guys like joe Fraser, bernard hopkins even and a bunch of others, their legacies are set. They're in the they're, Hopkins. Not yet, you know. When he finally retires, he'll be in the International Boxing Hall of Fame. Definitely, they'll yeah. be mentioned as the greatest fighters ever to come out of Philly. Joey Giardello, people like that. Bob Montgomery, uh, Benny Bass, and they'll, they're their 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 legacies are you know kind of secure. Benny Briscoe, I don't think will ever get into the International Boxing Hall of Fame. You know, um, I think it's there's plenty of fighters in there that are not nearly as good a fighter as he is but it's the way it works he didn't win the title he had a, lot, he had, you know, ton of losses on his career 24 losses or whatever I'm not looking at his record <laughs> and I don't and I don't uh, pretend to uh, recall every every detail i use my website for that yep. But the guy um, was great yeah. and and it was the perfect thing also he was one of those early guys who shaved his head and he had this and bad Benny Briscoe, was his nickname. Yeah. And he was a tough looking guy. And he was, and I, he also, his, what he looked like lent itself to the idea of creating a award, a trophy in his image. Yeah, he looked mean. So, he looked yeah, mean and, mean and bald and cool and tough yep. and simple. You know, <laughs> like very, you know. Um, so he was the one I want, and I like the name Briscoe Award, you know, Benny Briscoe. Just everything about him is cool. Yeah. So, so that was the idea, is to create an award. And I didn't want to go get a trophy off of a shelf, you know, in a store and say, here's your Briscoe Award. The idea was always to find an artist, create the award, an original statue of him. Um, Originally, I thought, oh, I'm going to do a big um, contest in, there's a bunch of art schools in Philadelphia, bring the city into it, get in there. I talked to a couple schools and they showed a lot of interest, but not enough interest to lift a finger and do anything. So moved on found an artist um, name was carla Bach and commissioned him to do the the statue big boxing fan
1: mm-hmm.
2: he did the original statue of Benny Briscoe then found another guy Victor Bono who is now deceased he just died earlier this year he's the one who made the the mold and the casting of every briscoe award that was ever uh given out until this year uh, had to wow. find new people because you know he had passed away mm-hmm. so started to make this award it was very important to me that the award looked like Benny um, and that's the case. So it's like a fight pose of Benny Briscoe. It's about 15 inches tall, and um, did that. So so we give out. What I finally decided to do, I did a few honorary Briscoe awards. Um, like for example, Harold Johnson. He's a guy who was in, he, he he died last year. Um, he was in a nursing home, in a, in a veterans' home. Um, hadn't been seen in quite a while. I loved the guy. I used to go see him all the time. Um, you know, as an older guy, you know, got to know him uh, late in his life. And thought okay here's an opportunity to bring him out he didn't he wasn't hadn't been out in a long time brought him out to like the pennsylvania boxing hall of fame gave him an award so i did some honorary awards but when i finally got down to doing an annual event what it became was the philly fighter of the year and the philly fight of the year that's where it started and the idea was you know my research now i go back and say okay 1928 what was the best fight that ever happened in philly during that year I don't know. you got to do a lot of digging. And uh, my guess would be uh, Benny Bass versus Harry Blitman. You know? <laughs> September 10th, twenty eight, at Shive Park. Legendary fight. So part of the, part of the idea of the award, uh, part of my responsibility is not just to go back and discover all this stuff in the past, but it's to document history in the making. And that's what's going on now, believe it or not, like it or not. And so... Um, naming the Philly fighter of the year and the Philly fight of the year will do that 50 years from now people go back and they'll say oh what's this Briscoe award oh this fight was the best fight of the year Steve Cunningham versus Amir Mansell you know 2014 best fight of the year okay mm-hmm. um, so so that's the intention so started there occasionally something special would happen someone do a Philly fighter would do a huge upset one time, he okay, here's upset of the war, upset of the year. You know, created, a, you know, like a, a new category. But the the awards are very expensive. They're, they're um, handmade. Um, they're probably as much as like a championship belt, you know, although fighters, I'm sure, would rather have a championship belt yeah. rather than have the Briscoe Award on a shelf. But that's the thing. I didn't want it to be a, a you know, cookie-cutter award. So over time... You know, got things together, and then uh, created a second award. Got a different artist, a guy named Michael O'Hara, who I knew from a previous life, and you know, he, he's a painter and a you know a sculptor now, and um, had him create the Briscoe Medal, which is a smaller award. It's about a four or five inch um, medallion with Benny Briscoe's um, image on the one side. It's like a big, like a, like a nickel, like a penny. Oh, yeah, And yeah. then you flip it over, it's got the Liberty Bell and the Philly Boxing History logo and, you know, engraved the name on there. And that became the award for all these other categories. So starting in 2012, I did um, Rookie of the Year, Amateur of the Year, Knockout of the Year, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and when it makes sense, add a category. But I'm not looking to do 100 awards every year. Just you know, add them. You know, let it grow. Let it grow. So now, every year, uh, we do these awards. This it just passed. We just had the ninth annual Briscoe Awards. So next year, the tenth. That's a big one. Uh, that'll be exciting to do the tenth one. Um, and so it's become this thing. Originally, the plan was bring the groups together, the young fighters the former fighters you know you talk to the old guys they say ah these young guys ain't nothing." You talk to the young guys they say oh those old men they were nothing <laughs> so now you bring them together you know they, they might not cross paths that much so bring them together bring the fans together bring the other boxing people together a lot of rivalries in boxing yeah you know, a lot of people hate each other but at the briscoe words you might see them having a beer together it's it's you know it's yeah. that kind of thing that's the that's the atmosphere that's the mood that's the thing you know so I did it, uh, first couple did it, you know, kind of out of my pocket, but then started to take on advertisers and sponsors and it's gotten bigger and bigger. Yeah. Last yeah. couple years, it's been at Xfinity Live, which is a great place to do it. It's gotten more expensive. My awards, you know, cost a fortune. <laughs> and so I couldn't do it the same way. I couldn't keep growing it without the, the sponsors um, and a lot of those are local boxing people, you know, promoters and, you know, businesses and things like that and big unions and, and fans, you know, people get involved. And that's, thing, and that's the goal is to, we love this sport. We go to all the fights. Now let's, you know, stop and say, okay, let, let's, let's register what the, big, um, uh, what the big accomplishments were. And when you look back, you know, we have this nine-year history now, imagine... 10 years from now, 20 years from now. Um, hopefully it just continues going. And then you'll look back and you'll have a snapshot of every year in Philadelphia boxing. And um, I think that's valuable. And I think it's interesting. And it's also something to give to the fighters. You know, I admire fighters. You know, I don't know how they do what they do. Um, and so let's let's pull them out and, and, you know, put them up on the stage and say, you know, great job. And, you know, you're the best rookie of the year you know like that it's it's, I think it's a I mean it's 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 no new idea I mean you know ring magazine has its you know year-end awards you know everything under the Sun has the same thing but it's one of these things there's even been things in the past in Philly back in the spectrum days I used to give a fighter of the year award a couple years that kind of thing Mm -hmm. but my goal is to do it make it special and keep it going and by making it special Naming it after Benny Briscoe. What that does is keeps his legacy going, you know, helps it. He did way more than this award does for him. But again, going forward, it'll help to keep his name out there. And his greatness sort of infuses and uh, validates, you know, the award. Yeah, so people yeah. who understand or they, or they care to find out who he was will say, ah, I get it. He's, he's a real Philadelphia fighter. Now, he's passed away now, but... Um, he was involved, you know. The first again, I went to Russell Pelt said, "Hey, what do you think of this idea?" He loved the idea, um, and he said, "I'll help you get to Benny because Benny was like the groundhog, you know. He never came out, and so um, <laughs> he retired in eighty-two, and nobody saw him. You know, for you know, every once in a while, you know, surface somewhere. Yeah, <laughs> yeah he, he worked. He worked a job. People were sitting there, but like he didn't go to fights very often, you know. So anyway. Um, went to see Benny, Got his pitched him the idea, he loved the idea, got his approval, sat down with his wife, did the business, you know, I needed his permission, official permission, to use his name and his likeness, so I have that, and, and he was part of it, he never came to the Briscoe Awards, Benny doesn't do that, he doesn't come out, so, but I would call him before, I'd call him the day after, we'd always talk about, he was very into it, and the family's into it, um, and they, they realize it it's a, it's a nice legacy for for this guy and but again it's an honor to be you know um, to be to 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 have him associated with it and it makes sense to me it makes a lot of sense that it's him yeah
1: yeah it's a great event in in the Philly boxing community
2: yeah it's it's, it's growing and it's it's something that you know the younger fighters now um, you know, if you if you gave a Briscoe, I used to joke around with Joey Giardella. Say, oh, one year I'm going to give you a Briscoe award, and he'd just say, because oh. you know, from his perspective, he's ten times better than Benny Briscoe. <laughs> yeah. And if you ask most fighters, they'll say that. But <laughs> the young guys, you know, this is, this is approaching the tenth year. Guys that won today, I mean, this year, just a few weeks ago, they were kids when this award started. So it's starting to be accepted. Yeah, some people will. Um, Say, oh, I want to win Briscoe. You know, it's it's out there. It's one of the things. It's a milestone, you know, to, to to you know in your in their careers. And it's also fun. I know that I'm getting somewhere when I announce the the winners, and also my phone starts ringing, and I get somebody called me up saying, how could you not give my fighter the, you know, <laughs> or then the I always joke with Jesse Hart I said, man, I wish everybody cared as much 11 o'clock at night, phone rings and, John, you, you didn't name, like he didn't win this award, and I said, man, I wish every fighter cared that much, so like, you know um, it's starting to catch on, and you know, people like it, and that's it, I mean, I want to be like furniture I don't want to be Splash, I want it to be as, I want it to be steady and constant and there, and 20 years from now, it's still going to be there and then you look back and say, "Wow, look at this own little storyline in the history. It's a little layer of the, you know, of the history." So, yeah, and it does exactly what my original intentions are. You know, honor it, then, uh, document it, celebrate it. That's what it's all about. That's awesome. And bring it to the people. It's really important that that um, it's shared. There's a lot of people out there who know way more about boxing than I do, but they might keep it to themselves. Right. And right. They might say, "Oh." you know, they're waiting for an argument in the bar so they can say, oh no, that was this date I am not like that, my feeling is what I know, I put it up on the website, I'm learning, it's a way for me to learn about what I love and put it out there for people I know it's, it's not, you know, my website is not Google you know, it's not, you know uh, busting the numbers, yeah. but I have a loyal following and people come and people use it, families find their, 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 their people on it and that's what it's all about, so, yeah you're also involved with the Pennsylvania Boxing Hall of
1: Fame. Are there any plans to build a physical boxing Hall of Fame in Pennsylvania?
2: Well, yes. What what we're doing is um, the Veteran Boxers Association Clubhouse, which is a great place. Um, walls filled, uh, you know, with, with pictures of, you know, fight all kinds of fighters, not just local fighters, not just Pennsylvania fighters. Uh, the Veteran Boxers Association Ring One uh, was started in 1935, incorporated in 35, and it's been around all that time. And it was originally a place that, um, you know, boxers, former boxers would get together and talk about the old times. But the idea was to do something for the public. Through the years, you know, that may or may not happen, but it's become like a, it's a club. It's a private club for, you know, boxing people. Somewhere along the line, about 50 years ago, someone suggested and created the Pennsylvania Boxing Hall of Fame. So the Veteran Boxer Association and the Pennsylvania Boxing Hall of Fame are very closely aligned. In a sense, they're, some people think they think of them as the same thing. They're interchangeable. I personally think that's a problem because I think they need to be very separate entities because there's complications when you do that. I, started to, I, was a, I became a member of the um, Veteran Boxer Association about 12 years ago and loved it, you know, mixing with old fighters. I'm not a boxer, but they let me in because I was a writer and a historian, and um, made a lot of great friends here. And um, not long into it, John Gallagher, who was the previous chairman of the Hall of Fame, said, "I'd really like you to work on the, um, you know, work with us in the Hall of Fame." And I said, "I'd love to do it, but here's my condition: I want to be an advocate for the fighters. I don't want to care one way or another whether they sell a ticket to a banquet or create ads for a program." I don't care about that. Not that I don't care, but that won't be my job. You do a good job of that. You make sure that. I'll help you market it and sell tickets. But when we're talking about the Hall of Fame, we got to put the right people in. And if it's up to me, I don't care. I don't have any, I don't hold any grudge of anyone that's in the Hall of Fame. But when a guy with five fights is in there and Benny Briscoe has been retired 20 years and he's not in, and Jeff Chandler's not in, and a whole laundry list of champions are not in, it wasn't any malice. But what it was is the lack of a single focus on exactly what the Hall of Fame should be mm-hmm. and who should be in there. There was a, f- a funny local beef against Larry Holmes with um, one of the guys in here. And they once, <laughs> I guess, floated the idea, hey, if, you c- if we put you in the Hall of Fame, would you come to the banquet? And Larry Holmes, in, in, you know, in step with his reputation... I don't think he returned the phone call. And someone <laughs> said he'll never be in the Pennsylvania Boxing Hall of Fame. And I said, if you don't have the if you don't have Larry Holmes in the Pennsylvania Boxing Hall of Fame, you don't have a Hall of Fame. Yeah. You may have something, but it's not the Hall of Fame. So working closely with John Gallagher, Charlie Segrillo, especially John Gallagher and I, you know, um, we I worked for eight years with him and brought the you know, and, and pushed. You know, I was a nudge. You know, I twisted his arm to say, we got to do this. We got to make this change and eventually moved it to a ballot system. It was something a little bit more casual before. It allowed for um, little sloppy uh, induction decisions, Um, and now it's a ballot system. So we have a nomination process. We create a ballot. We have a voting body. And I always say, I know it's working because every meeting at the veteran Boxers, people are screaming at me because this guy's not getting in. (laughs) It's like, it comes down to the votes. That's what it needs to be. Hey, if, if a guy who's two and ten gets a Dutch the Hall of Fame, good for him. Yeah. But he's gonna have to earn it. And if he's going against a guy who's got a great record and a world title and you know, not just a world title but you know if he can get in that's great and I'm I'm all for it. But it has to be this disconnected process that is um you know, that there's rules and there's, there's, a, there's a real sense of process. That's it now. So it's, it's, we've been doing that for several years. Then I think about three years ago, John said he wanted to step down. He felt that I should be the, the new chairman. So um, I'm usually like more of a behind-the-scenes guy, and I like that, that idea. But um, I said, yeah, I would be honored to be that because it would also allow me to um, you know, press this agenda better. And again, that's the agenda, is to make the Pennsylvania Rocks the Hall of Fame as good as it can be. Um, shocking, just like the Gravestone program, it's shocking all the people that weren't in the Hall of Fame. And it was just, they slipped through the cracks. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, and that's the thing. So, And, they, and they might, there might be some thought with, oh, this guy's been dead for 50 years. He's not going to sell any tickets. Who's going to know? Who cares? I said, I care. Yeah. Because this guy died 50 years ago is a pillar in Pennsylvania boxing mm-hmm. history, and he needs to be in the Hall of Fame. So regardless of race or, you know, um, era or whatever other, you know, conditioning coming up there, these guys get a fair share, a fair shake. And, um, you know, that, that goes well. And it, and it, it, it just, uh, the that correct. It, it, it bears out in like you know what's happened over the last several years. You look at the classes that have gone in, and it's guys that you can't believe were never in there before. So going well. And now, as a long, a long answer, but he <laughs> asked about the Hall of Fame. What we yep. decided was upstairs at the Veteran Box Association. We had a, a like an attic. Um, it's the place where the Joey Giordano statue. Was sculpted by the artist. Oh wow! And we used it. We said, "Oh, let's do it here." Instead of being the artist studio, let's do it here. Make this the studio. That way, we can bring people in and um, do fundraisers while we're doing so. So once that project was done, um, they got a grant, um, the the Veteran Box Association, and they finished the the attic, and they you know cleaned the floor. It's a beautiful room now. So for three or four years, I used to hold the Brisco Awards at. At the Veteran Boxers Club, uh, before it outgrew it, and every year I would do a museum exhibit upstairs in this beautiful room, and it would be like one year we had the Jeff Chandler exhibit and had all his memorabilia in there, and I did a boxing art exhibit with all Philadelphia fighters, you know. So we would use it like that, and then you know I moved out, and I'm using I'm, last three years of the Librisco Awards elsewhere. And so the room's empty, and the thought was we're going to turn it into a library and the Pennsylvania Boxing Hall of Fame. So what that means is for all the 300-plus inductees through the last 50 or so years, we're we're creating photo plaques similar to the International Boxing Hall of Fame. If you go in that museum, there's walls of, like, you know, a small frame with a photo and a little bio and info. And so we're in the process of doing that, and what we do is to pay for the project— you can sponsor your favorite fighter. So if your favorite fighter is Joe Frazier, you got one shot, one, one space, and that is world champions cost 100 bucks. You say, I want to sponsor Joe Frazier. So you have Joe Frazier's the plaque with his, with his picture, his bio, and then in a very tasteful, small line at the end, it says, sponsored by Joe Blow. Oh, and cool. And so you can go in there and say... That's my Joe my man, Joe Frazier. Yeah, you can be a part of it. Yeah. Yep. You're a part of it, and you help us pay for this thing. You mm-hmm. know, you know, it's, um, you know, there's expense to it. So champions are hundred bucks, non-champions and non-boxers are fifty. So it's very reasonable. People come in there and say, "Oh, my, my grandfather, I want to do that," or they say, "You know, I'm a cut man and." that guy was my mentor i wanted him i want to be so there's that kind of a, there's this camaraderie and there's this um you know um community too mm-hmm. so we're doing it um i'm i'm creating the photo plaques someone else is figuring out how they're going to go on the wall and that's where we are so we'll i hope to start hanging things before the end of this year and uh you know it's an ongoing project so we'll just keep doing and i like the idea of it being there um, you know the the walls are, are in the downstairs are filled with photos and posters, but this will be a special place and it 'll be a physical location for the Hall of Fame very cool, yeah. very cool yeah. do you have any plans to write a book I do i do um, there's there 's something you know I have some thoughts about it um, you know my plate 's very full now there 's a certain Amount of intimidation of the idea of writing a book, mm-hmm. um, but I think I'll get there, and I have some thoughts about you know um, what I'd like to do, a couple different things, um, and so I think I will. I think I will. I'm not a ru- I'm not a rush for anything, you know. I'm like somebody who looks at the big picture, and <laughs> I assume I'll live a long time, and you know, but you know, as I get older, I'm 54 now. I realize you know time is. You know, it's 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 uh, escaping me, and so yeah, it's time to do some things. So yeah, I definitely uh, think that I will, um, and yeah, I think I'll get there.
1: Who are some of your favorite current fighters?
2: Current fighters, yeah. Out um, outside the Philly scene, mm-hmm. I assume you mean. Um, I love Manny Pacquiao. You know, i clicked every last fight. You know, I think it's he's he's great. Um, uh, some of the young guys I like Terrence Crawford a lot. I yeah. think he's as good as anybody out there. I think Errol Spence, who's a young welterweight coming up, mm-hmm. has been super impressive and a certain future champion. Um, I uh, they're the guys that immediately come to come to mind. I watch you know all the big fights and. Um, you know, these guys kind of these are the ones that kind of excite me right now. I think I like uh, Guillermo Rigondeaux. I love watching him. Yeah, he's exciting. Um, yeah, just just such a pure, talented boxer. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, they got the big fight of Andre Ward and Kovalev coming up. Yeah. I don't know that it's going to be a great fight. I think it it could be exciting if Kovalev, you know, can get to him, or I can also see Ward. Um, You know, going out there and controlling the ring and it being kind of a a stinker, possibly. I agree. I'll buy it. I I don't mean to hurt the pay per view sales for that. (laughs) It could be. But I I think Kovalev is a very exciting fighter because he can punch, he can box. And, um, you know, I like him. There's a number of guys. um, But that's it. You know, like, um, you know, again, I'm, I'm dipping back into Philly. I think Danny Garcia is one of the most exciting fighters. Out there, I think the last couple years he's kind of certainly not taken off, like taken some taken a rest. But um, for so many years he fought one killer after another. Mm -hmm. Most people thought he would lose to several of them. Certainly, um, you know when he got his title shot um, against Morales, you know most people thought Morales still had enough to beat the young kid. Yeah, he looked good. Um, but, you know, he just keeps kept winning and fighting good guys. The last couple of years he's been, you know, not fighting title fights. And then this year he, he won the welterweight title. He's fighting in Philadelphia in a couple of weeks. It was very exciting, a non title yeah. fight. But then apparently you know, a March date is set for him and Keith Thurman. I heard I that. Think yeah. that's a, I think that's a great fight because it's two of the best welterweights. There's a lot of good welterweights. But um, so I think Danny Garcia is one of these guys who, when he's in there, he's in deep competition. He's one of the most exciting guys to watch because he's not a perfect fighter. Um, he's got he's got some speed. He's got a lot of power, and um, he's got some defensive holes. And so, yeah. a lot of times, it, it makes for like you know he's come back and you know had to defend depend on his power to, to win the fight. I think he's one of the most exciting fighters. I think people forget because the last two years have been a little less thrilling with him. You know, he's mm-hmm. kind of had safer opponents and you know kind of been in a transition period, but. I think he's he's one of the guys I like to watch. Um, yeah, I, I, there's a lot of names. I I, I like watching it. And I like the um, yeah. You know, I, I love what goes on in the ring. Certainly, there's nothing better than a great fight. But for me, I've always been struck by the um, the personalities. Yeah. And that's where that's where my investment comes. Like you'd watch the fight and you'd say. You'd watch the interview. Maybe you didn't know either guy. Like back in the day when I was a kid and they were on TV. They'd be out at the pool, you know, in Las Vegas, and you'd see the <laughs> five-minute interview with each guy, and you'd say, I like that guy. Yeah. I wanted to win. And all of a sudden, now you watch the fight, and you're invested in it. I've always been sucked in by the, by the fighters, their story, their personality, and that's what does it, you know. Same here, yeah. Um, you live or die with, with them. And, and that's what I love about boxing because it's very serious you know it's it's one guy you know certainly he's got a team trainers and cut men and things but you know it's not like team sports which can be great I'm a big baseball fan but um nothing's like boxing you know because it's it's a serious job and it's a tough sport and these guys um you know they really have to put it on the line and if you care about that fighter you're right there with him. You know, you're not taking the punches, but... You know, yeah, you're invested. You're yeah. there, yeah. So <laughs> so that's it. I'm always drawn in by, by you know, so many fighters, um, guys even that I that I haven't seen. All of a sudden, you see these new guys, like new guys on the scene. That's who I mentioned, guys like Terrence Crawford. I was like, wow, this guy. You know, these guys, some of these guys could, you know... I like, like a guy like Floyd Mayweather. I wasn't the biggest Floyd Mayweather f- uh, fan, um, but I respected him, and I think he was the best of his time. Yeah. Um, and he's the kind of guy where you say... Oh, that guy could compete in any era i don 't compl- i don 't think he 's close to being the best pound for pound fighter ever agreed i don 't but could he could he battle these other guys absolutely yeah definitely. absolutely any era Hopkins is another guy because he 's an old school guy and there 's no one who 's mentally stronger than Hopkins has been over these you know over the course of his career he 's a guy he 's not the greatest Philly fighter of all time in no. my opinion. I think you, may, you it's hard to make that uh, mm-hmm. argument that he's not the most accomplished. He's probably the richest, yeah. and um, he's certainly great. But he's the kind of guy that he you could see him fighting these guys in the '70s, the guys <laughs> in the '60s, the guys. He's there, you know. He, he could he could compete in any era, and that says a lot. A lot of these, a lot of people could, but oh, yeah. very true. Is there anything else you'd like to say to my listeners? Well, one of the things, as I, as I mentioned about my, my Philly boxing history, uh, incorporate, like, like the overall sort of umbrella, is now a nonprofit organization. And from the start, first I wasn't sure what I was doing. I was just kind of documenting this stuff and trying to create these projects. Briscoe um, Awards, Gravestone, also we mentioned briefly the Giardello statue. Um, you know, that's something that... I was the project manager for that and kind of drove the project. But I was partners with the Veteran Boxer Association, Harrogate Boxing Club, who was a who was a nonprofit organization. So they were the fiscal sponsor of that project. But um, we all worked together. But you know, raised I raised all the money, and you know, we you know, sat on the bench to get the permits, you know, and in the in the buildings, you know, I yeah, I went through with the artist and the and the and the architect and everybody involved, and I, I sort of you know, babied that project to out. So the, it always has been something bigger than just my website. That's the hub. That's the thing that will always be the centerpiece of it. Um, but I always saw it as these other things, all with the same, more or less the same, um, uh, you know, uh, goals and, and, and everything, but that there were other things. And I wanted to be creative and find other ways to, to do this this uh this effort so i was always thought i'd go in the direction of nonprofit. profit was a question of when do i pull the trigger when do i do that i didn't want to do it until i had to do it i can do the gravestone program on my own i can do the briscoe words on my own but then when things get to a certain point to i can keep going as i was going and that's fine but if i wanted to take it up a level if i wanted to go further um, I learned with doing the Giordello Statue, it was a non-profit effort, there's advantages to that. There's, there's paths to money that, that I don't have. And so I finally pulled the trigger, because there's a lot of other projects I want to do, but the thing I really want to do, and it's the long-term goal, always has been of this project, is to do a physical boxing history museum in or around Philadelphia. Oh, cool. So that, is, that has always been my goal, and I have a massive collection that you know could fill a small museum yeah. right, <laughs> it, you know but uh you know the thing is is that it's it's something I'm, I'm heading towards and I can't it's something I can't do without a nonprofit status right know? it's a big undertaking I need I need help from people I need funds I need I need all kinds of revenue streams to make it happen what I'm doing in the short term is I'm currently looking for space Um, exhibit space, retail space um, that I can get donated or or given at a very low cost that will bridge me to a permanent museum. So basically the idea is for the next year or two to have a space, do a series of exhibits to raise awareness and to raise funds and to start that that machine because I'm not someone who likes it. like It kills me to to even have this conversation because I don't like to say, oh this is what I'm going to do. Because a lot of people, everybody's writing a movie and doing that. Everybody's writing, you know, I don't like to talk about things unless they're, they're happening. Yeah. You know, a lot's going on. I'm always, you know, juggling and figuring out the next moves and things I want to do. But unless it's concrete, I don't like saying it. But I realize that part of the thing I have to learn is that with a museum, with a big undertaking like that, I can't do it in secret and then say, voila, here it is. I can't do it. So I have to start talking about it. I have to build the 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 movement and the groundswell and just like my website just like the Briscoe Awards just like the gravestone program there are people who who will be connected to it and want to be connected to it i don't expect everyone to line up and give me money and say hey let's do this thing but there's enough people that can help to make it happen and if i can get those people with me you know we can get there and we can start small and we can have a temporary museum, and we can have a b- boutique museum. But what I see is a real place. My website is a virtual museum. Right. There are places like Russell Peltz's office or the Veteran Boxers Clubhouse that could um, be called museums. Yeah. And they are. But I want a, re- a, a proper museum that um, that basically uh, gives this these these memories of permanent physical home because i'm a i'm a i love paper i'm addicted to cardboard posters and paper (laughs) you know tickets and programs and and photographs you know everybody takes pictures with iphones and digital cameras now you know our our generation will not have Photographs, physical photographs. So you look at an old boxing photograph, and it is a relic. It is beautiful. It's a thing. It's yeah. A, yeah. It's, a, it's an object. <laughs> and so there's there's a place like the Giardello statue has, um, na- other names on it. It's a Giardello monument. But if you look at it, look at the base. There's, there's a list of um, great South. It's in South Philadelphia. In yeah. Yeah. Great uh, South Philly venues. Um, great boxing venues in South Philly. If you look at that list, most of them are gone. Probably all of them are gone. Great gyms, and that's the thing. Like these places, they're you know they're whispers. You know we don't we don't, you know we don't really know if they're there. And like the young generation, they don't know if they're there, but they are, and they're, they're in our members, and I want to have a physical place where all this stuff comes together. It's nice to look on the web, and it's amazing, but to be able to go and have you know, look at that photo of, you know, you see some old photos and you say, that's the only photo that fighter ever took. Yeah. You know, some young guy in the 1920s. <laughs> there's got to be a place where it's great to see it online, but to go and see the physical thing and the families can come and see. So that, that's my goal. It's just an extension of what I'm doing, but it is the, that's one of the big goals. And there's other things too, but that's, that's what I'm trying to tackle.
1: Sounds very cool, John. Thank you very much for sitting down
2: with me this evening. Thank you.
1: If you have a history event that you would like promoted on my blog and podcast, please contact me via Twitter, Facebook, or on my blog. I will be happy to promote your event free of charge. That does it for the 10th episode of the Matt Ward History Experience. The Matt Ward History Experience is brought to you by One Stone Recording and Mastering in New Brunswick, New Jersey. Check out One Stone Recording and Mastering for all of your mixing and mastering needs. Go to OneStoneRecording.com slash MW history and receive ten percent off of your first session. I want to thank my guest John DeSanto of Phillyboxinghistory.com and you, the listeners. John can be reached via his website, Facebook page, and Twitter. The links to these sites are posted on my blog. And now our guest announcer, Nigel, will tell you a little bit about our Patreon campaign. You can now be like our
0: friend J.P. Favara and support the Matt Ward history experience on Patreon! You can support us for as little as one dollar a month! Your pledge will go directly towards travel expenses and studio fees! Thank you again J.P. Favara for being a part of our team! I hope the weather in Florida is great!
1: Last, but certainly not least, I want to thank my good friend Peter Lloyd at One Stone Recording and Mastering for providing tech support for this episode. I can be reached on the blog, The Matt Ward History Experience, at mwhistoryexperience.com, on Twitter, at RevWarBuff23, or via my new Facebook page. Thanks again, Nigel. Take it home.
0: Until next time, I'm Nigel Corning Browning, and this is The Matt Ward History Experience.